Yeah, I want to say one thing about the November 1st outreach. We're going to be street preaching. And uh, what that's going to look like is the people that show up, you don't have to, but you'll have the opportunity just to share your testimony on the streets of downtown Athens. So you're sharing what uh, God's done for you. Thank you, son. And so it's a... Uh, it's a message that you don't have to study for. You don't have to, you know, it's your life. You get to share from your life. What has Jesus done for you? What has he set you free from? How did you get to know Jesus? And then the rest of the team will be on the perimeter ministering to people, praying for healing, prophesying, uh, hugging people, whatever it looks like, interpreting tattoos. Who knows? So, um, so anyways, that's what the no November 1st outreach is. We're going to have a uh, portable speaker and we're going to um, just share the good news. You know, I, I've always, you know, imagined that where you start off street preaching saying something like, God's much better than you think he is instead of uh, you're a sinner. Most people know that. Most people know they're a sinner. Um, they just need to know the way out. <laughs> so... Um, I, wanted to, I do want to talk about God and politics this morning, but um, what was I going to say? I just, I'm kind of still in a daze from that. You know, one of the good things about when you have a vision from the Lord is you actually can go back to that and revisit it. Anytime God gives you a vision or like an experience, you get to go back. <laughs> so there is a, one, one time I had a picture where I was in the crowd, again, like Jesus' times, um, 30 A.D. or whatever. And, um, and the crowds are they're swarming in around Jesus. And I can't get to him. It's kind of like I'm Zacchaeus. And I stood up on something. I don't even know. but And I said, hey, Jesus. And, you know, there's thousands of people around him, but he heard me. He looked at me. And I started singing, my soul sings, my soul sings how I love you. And, and Jesus, he gave me, he went like this, he went. <laughs> and in that, I was just like, man, Jesus, I just blessed Jesus' heart. He's like, you're my boy. You're my boy. And I see you, you know, in the midst of the multitude, like I see you. And so I'll go back to that, and I look at, I just always remember Jesus' face. I also had another time when I was like the prodigal son, and I was coming on, I was on my way through the desert, coming back home, rehearsing my speech to my father. I'm not worthy to be a son in your house, but I'm like a servant. And, and I got so weak, I fell, and I was like, in the, you know, it's just like those desert scenes in the movies where somebody's sweating and they can't see. It's like, and I, I looked up, and there was a man standing above me. And it was Jesus, and he was doing this. He just had this big smile on his face, and he, he was looking down on me. And he helped me up, and he gave me some water, and he walked me back to the Father's house. So I get to, I get to go back to those anytime I want. So it's, the gifts of God are irrevocable. So, um, so anyways, I just want to encourage you with that. I, before I uh, get into my sermon, I just... I, Last week, I spoke on God and politics and mainly focused in on our corporateness, on how we're all connected. 
in different ways. And so we're connected as the body of Christ through Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, okay? There's other levels of corporateness. You can be tied in corporately through a, a city, a region, a nation, uh, ethnic group, a subculture. I mean, there's all kinds of, in all of those different areas, the city can have uh, strongholds of blessing or there can be strongholds of cursing. And so any of those groups, whether it's uh, a city, a state, nation, ethnic groups, subcultures, all that kind of stuff, you just have to realize, but in America, we think like my actions only affect me for the most part. We don't see how they affect other people. We don't see the ripple effect, but you have to understand how obviously um, a leader's decision is going to ripple forth in whoever they're leading. Uh, my decisions affect you guys, a mayor's decisions, governors, presidents, all that kind of stuff. We're corporate, but it, it's not only just in the physical realm where they're changing policies and whatnot, but in the spiritual realm. I gave the example of when David was king, he took a census that God didn't want him to take a census in because it, David was taking pride in the strength of his army. And what happened was a plague broke out, 70,000 of those fighting men died. And then David repented to the Lord and the plague stopped. But David, it was none of those men made that decision. David made that decision. So something was released in the spirit. That, and so you have to, it, David didn't, it wasn't a policy that he did. It was a decision. It was something that, it was, uh, you know, it was just a census but it wasn't pleasing to the Lord. And so, you know, you kind of look at that, it's like, dang, that's kind of hard. It's like, well, Adam and Eve, guess what? We're all, we, didn't, we weren't there in the garden, but we're all affected by that decision. We, have, we were born in sin, affected by the effects of sin. Death, sickness, separation from God. And Jesus came to rectify all those. He came to bring us back to the Father, to reconcile us to the Father. He came to, to take our sins away. He came to heal us. And so Jesus is, that's why he's called the second Adam. Because the first Adam, Adam and Eve, that was actually like heaven on earth. It was the Garden of Eden. But when man sinned, that was taken away. And so it's been the journey, the process of bringing heaven back to earth. And Jesus... Uh, makes that happen. So this is the main scripture I want to use when talking about God and politics. It's found in Joshua chapter 5. And it says, when Joshua was by Jericho, now they're about to, they just crossed over into the, crossed the Jordan River. The river Jordan parted just like the Red Sea parted because Joshua needed to know that God was with him just as he was with Moses. And God's like, Watch, and they parted the Jordan. So they stepped over, and uh, the, neighbor, the, the Canaanites of the, of the land, of the promised land, all the inhabitants of the land, know they're about to go, go to war with the Israelites. And so Joshua, it says he's by Jericho, and he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us? Or for our adversaries? And he said, no. But I'm the commander of the army of the Lord. 
Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. And so this, this commander of the Lord's army says Joshua worshipped him, and he did not refuse the worship. Now, most times, angels refuse worship. And so, a lot of, many times in the Old Testament, this is believed to be Jesus. He manifests in the Old Testament as the angel of the Lord or the, or the commander of the Lord's army. And, uh, and so, you can look at this as Jesus standing before Joshua. And Joshua's, are you for us or for our enemies? And Jesus says, no, but rather are you are you on the side of holiness? Are you on my side? He says, because where you're standing is holy. So that's the question. Are we in alignment with Jesus? Jesus isn't, I, I said a few weeks ago, Jesus says, follow me. He doesn't say, hey, I'm going to get in the boat with you. you Andrew and Peter, I know you're fishermen. I'm going to, I'm going to be your life coach. We're going to be really great fishermen. He says, no. I'm coming over here. You can follow me. You can get in alignment with me or not. But this is where I'm going. I'm giving you an invitation. And so that's, we live from a biblical worldview. And that's, that's why he gave us the word, because it's our plumb line. It's our God. Isaiah chapter 9 talks about the government of God. And in verse 6, it says, a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. So there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. And how will this happen? It says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. So the zeal of the Lord will accomplish it. It's not our strength. It's not, it's not by man's might or power, but it's by the Lord's zeal. Now, I want to talk a little bit about Israel and how they came into uh, human government, I guess you could call it. You know, they were led out of Egypt. They were led through the wilderness and into the promised land by God, truly. I mean, they had a pillar of cloud, pillar of fire to lead them. Moses was basically a mouthpiece for the Lord and Joshua much in the same way. But they, you go through the book of Judges and you get into 1 Samuel and, they, they, and Samuel is... Uh, the prophet and the prophets led the the people at that time because, like I said, uh, if you, you might remember in Exodus, when Moses, there was an invitation to all the Israelites to go stand face to face before God, and they said, "No, you go for us and you speak to us on God's behalf." And Moses said, "Man, I wish that all of God's people were prophets." But they they turned down that invitation to actually hear from God for themselves because they were scared. And so, you know, you go do that. Somebody, you tell us what God's saying. And what ended up happening is, who, was, who were the rebellious ones? 
the ones that didn't hear the Lord's voice for themselves. So it's a lesson to you and I that we need to hear the voice of the Lord and not trust on what somebody else uh, is feeding us with. But the re you want to know how to know the voice of the Lord? You get familiar with this. That's the first step number one. Because he's not going to tell you anything that contradicts his word. So they go to Samuel and they say, appoint a king for us to judge us like all the other nations. They want to be like all the other nations. And God's actually called them to not be like all the other nations. And so God told Samuel that the people haven't rejected you, they've rejected me. And Samuel warned them what a worldly king would do. All right. He says, kings will make your sons work chariots, command his armies, do his farming, be his blacksmiths. He'll make your daughters perfumers, cooks, and bakers. He'll also take the best of your fields, your vineyards, your groves, take a tenth of your seed and vineyards, take your male and female servants, take your best livestock, and make you his servants. So the point is, any form of human government is going to have you contribute to it. It's just on what level of <laughs> what are they going to take. <laughs> now God... He asks us to give his, our lives. He asks us to give generously. But the thing with God is you always come out in the black. <laughs> Whatever, he may ask you to, to invest, but he always gives a, multiplies the return on your investment. With humans, it doesn't really operate that way. God actually told the Israelites to lend without interest. So the government of heaven... So I'm going to read through some scriptures here. It just talks about what the government of heaven looks like. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set free those who are oppressed. Luke 4, 18. You'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. So if the son makes you free, you'll be free indeed. John 8. But, but the Jerusalem which is above, the Jerusalem above, which is heaven, is free. She is our mother, the mother of the church. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. So Adam and Eve were free in the garden to actually choose God or choose the knowledge of good and evil. Imagine that, a sinless environment, heaven on earth, and God still gives the choice to not choose him. God must be really confident in himself. And God must really, really value freedom. Because he could have, he's like, hey, I'll make robots for myself. I'll make people without free will. He could have done that. But God knows that love is based upon a choice. And so, the Republic of the United States, uh, and hear me, the United States is, is not without flaws and histories of flaws and, and injustices, but the Republic of the United States and the democracy through which it operates is currently, in my opinion, the best world system, and I say just ask a missionary. 
We've, have, we've got friends that are missionaries in India, friends that are missionaries in Africa, even friends that are missionaries in European countries, and they're like, thank the, you need to thank Jesus <laughs> that you live in America. All right? And so, and the reason is, is because as it stands right now, the U.S. does allow more freedoms than almost any other country in the world, okay? You get to choose. You get to, you get to uh, protest. You get freedom of speech. We have freedom of religion. We have nobody telling us to leave this building. That You can't worship Jesus here. So we need to be thankful for the country that we live in. Now, the more a leader or government is in alignment with heaven, the more heaven can be released. And so we desire that. The reason, why do Christians want uh, the kingdom of God to influence the earthly realm? It's because it brings freedom for everyone. Jesus came to bring justice and freedom for all. All colors, male, female, he wants freedom. They're all in his kingdom, and he wants freedom for all, okay? But government can't cut off the root of sin. So 1 Samuel 8, going back to uh, Israel asking to be like the other nations, it says that we may be like all the nations that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And so as the church, we need to repent for looking to government to fight our battles of poverty, widows, and orphans, just to name a few. Because the government actually doesn't have the person that can solve those issues. So I want us to, right now, I want us to repent on behalf of ourselves and the church for letting the government fight our battles. All right, so y'all just, just pray with me. Father, we know that we're a corporate people. Lord, that we're one with the body of Christ through the blood of Jesus, through your Holy Spirit. And Lord, even here in this, in this body, we, we've experienced that, that there's not an orphan problem, there's a church problem. And Lord, we just know that that's just one of the areas that the church has delegated to government. And Lord, we, we repent right now for asking a king or a government to fight our battles. Because you've given us Jesus, the warrior king, who's not afraid, <laughs> who everywhere he goes, he brings light. There's no darkness. Even darkness is his light to him. Father, we ask that you forgive us for this sin. Forgive us for our passivity. Forgive us for our coldness of heart, our apathy. And Father, we, we ask that there would be a holy fire set in the church to not delegate to the government what you've asked us to do. Lord, that we will go, Father, into the darkness and bring the light of Jesus. Lord, that the world needs answers to these problems. And, and, you, and uh, your word says that Jesus has the wisdom that confounds the, the principalities and powers. He has the wisdom to solve the problems. And even when Jesus comes back, he's going to be solving problems because he has the wisdom. And so, Lord, we ask that you bring your kingdom in us and through us 
Give us divine solutions from heaven, God. Give us dreams and visions of how to, to be the answer, Father, for the, for the problems that afflict our society. Lord, let us, bring, let us bring messengers of light. Let us bring messengers of truth and of love. And let us not love our lives unto death. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's a, it's, a, uh, it's a human nature to look for somebody to rescue them. And we do need a, we need a savior and a rescuer and, and we have Jesus. But what Jesus does, once Jesus becomes your savior, he actually empowers you to do what he's, do, he's done and what he, he's doing. It's not just a, he leaves you in a helpless victim role. He empowers you to be an overcomer. He empowers you to be more than a conqueror. And so he says, I've saved you. I've redeemed you. I've called you my own. I've put my spirit in you, which is an overcoming spirit that you may do likewise, that you may do even greater works than I've done. That's what Jesus has called us to. But it's, it's and because there's, there's that thing of we need to be rescued, people, they feel that deep down in their heart. That's why they want somebody to go to war for them. That's why they want somebody to judge on their behalf. It's because like, we need, we need savior. But they look to men and it's always gonna be empty. And we've done it too, you know. So true victory manifests from the inside out. This is where the kingdom of God always starts. You know, so when, when Jesus was on the earth, the first coming, everybody was really excited because they thought he was going to overthrow the Roman Empire. They're like, we're going to have a human government that's for us, and life's going to be good. And then Jesus said, you can't go where I'm going, because where I'm going, you have to die, basically. <laughs> he says, that in three days, you know, he's like, in a little while, the rulers of this age will put me, will put me to death. And all of his disciples are like, what? What? What'd you say? No, no, Jesus. You remember what Peter did? He said, he says, Lord, far be it from me that you do such a thing. And, and what did Jesus respond to? And he says, get behind me, Satan. Because Satan had put those words in Peter's mouth. And so sometimes it's like, you know, they, that's why they were jostling for position to be at the right hand of Jesus. They're like, dude, I'm going to be vice president. He's like, well, I'm going to be, I'm going to be secretary of state. <laughs> and Jesus is like, y'all aren't getting it. You got to take up your cross and follow me. And this child is going to be first in the kingdom. And they, you know, until it didn't all sink in until they realized when, when Jesus got uh, apprehended, and started being tortured. So why should we elect God-fearing leaders? Some, some scriptures. So when it goes well, the righteous, the city rejoices, and when the wicked perish, there's joyful shouting. Proverbs 11. The exercise of justice is joy for the righteous, but is terror to the workers of iniquity. Proverbs 21. When the righteous triumph, there is great glory, but when the wicked rise, men hide themselves. Proverbs 28. 
When the righteous increase, the people rejoice, but when a wicked man rules, people groan. The righteous is concerned for the rights of the poor, and the wicked does not understand such concern. So what does it mean to fear God? You recognize that you're accountable to God. You recognize that you're weak. And so there's people actually in the Bible that, that feared the Lord that actually hadn't, didn't really know Jesus yet. But they understood. There's like, there's, I'm kind of small, and there's, a, there's probably a God bigger than me. <laughs> you know, that's, that's the basis of like fearing God. Cyrus, king of Persia, said he wasn't even a believer, but he said the Lord, God, meaning Yahweh, has put it in my heart to send y'all back to get, rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, and I'm going to pay for it. And so he recognizes, like, your God has put it in my heart to do this thing for you. Cornelius was in the Roman military. He said he was a God-fearing man who gave alms to the poor. And because he was, a, he was an honest seeker of the truth, God sent Paul to him. And he, he found that, and he's like, dude, you're, God, he sees you. He knows you're looking for Jesus. So Paul introduced him to Jesus. Now, what is the purpose of government? So government administers justice. Uh, so should Christian nations go to war? Good question. Would Jesus go to war? He, he does in the spirit. <laughs> There's all kinds of scriptures about Jesus being a warrior. For us as Christians, it says our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, and rulers of darkness. So um, you can kill Osama bin Laden, but the spirit that's on him can just go to the next guy. All right, whatever spirit is, and that is demonic to terrorize people like that. So whatever that spirit is that he allowed access, it's just going to find the next guy that has a heart like that. So you got to dismantle and you've got to put in place a bigger stronghold. So Jesus is the chief principality of the world. <laughs> He's the prince, right? So Jesus has to be established as the stronghold of a nation or city or a region. So going to war, the question is only part of the equation. Obviously, you don't want to go to war. You want to try to avoid that. But Christ set the pattern not for governments, but for his disciples. So as his disciple, I follow him in the way of mercy and redemption. God's command to governments, however, is different from his word to disciples. All right, we're going to read this scripture in just a second. Part of the role of government is to administer justice and to exercise punishment. So think about what Paul wrote in Romans 13 while under the oppressive Roman government. All right, we're going to read this. He says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, 
Be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God. And some translations say, for he is the minister of God. An avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Now, obviously a government can in inflict injustice. So we're not saying that. Governments don't do that. But what Paul is, what, so Paul, Roman government, he was arrested. Paul spent time in prison, right? So let's look at how Paul dealt with that. He preached in cities where they, he, he got stoned. <laughs> he had to be lowered out of baskets. He got thrown in prison. And so he didn't resist as a Christian with, uh, with swords. You know, Peter tried to do that. He's, he cut off Malchus's ear. I'm trying not to steal your sermon, honey. Sorry. But, um, and then Jesus healed Malchus's ear. Yeah, I'm just priming y'all for next week, uh, Jessica's sermon here, talking about Malchus. And, uh, and so Peter, he, he worshiped in prison. He wrote letters from prison. And so there is, a, there is a submission to the government, but yet he was, and then Peter was in prison. They prayed for him to be released, and the angel came and released him from prison. All right? But the point is, you, uh, it's a heart condition. I think uh, Martin Luther King Jr. did a great job of, you know, resisting in a, in a way that, that helped bring justice. But he didn't do it. He did it in a way that was even honoring. He, he tried to go to leaders to, to, get, their, to get rights for blacks. And uh, I think he's a good modern-day example of what Paul probably would have looked like. So pray for our leaders. First Timothy chapter two, verses one through four. It says, first of all then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So we moan and groan, complain that our politicians are not doing their job, but when we fail to pray for, for them, neither are we. So you don't, if you, complaining doesn't really help anything anyways. So just pray for them. Turn complaining into prayer. And, oh man, I had a good point and just left. We'll come back to it. So why are people so angry? Well, some of it, uh, I'll wait on that. I got it later. So one may argue our society is decaying, and we should be mad. Yes, but we can be angry and still not sin. All right? We could be angry because we feel the underpinnings of our culture being d dismantled by unprincipled men and women. And our souls should be vexed at the darkening cloud of demonic infestation in our culture, especially when children are caused to stumble or they're weak or exploited. If we don't take a stand, the advance of evil ultimately means more people will die without Christ. So if we are angry, it does not necessarily mean that we have sinned. It simply means that we care. But the concern is that unless this anger, this is the key, regenerates into something more redemptive, more Christ-like, we will not see our cities renewed. 
So you can't, it's not good enough to just sit in anger. You got to let Jesus take that into something more redemptive than anger. Where he pours out a spirit of grace and supplication on you. Where you stand in the gap. I'm telling you, the Lord, this past week, the Lord said, oil flows from the head. And you read Psalm 133 and it says, how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell in unity. It's like oil on the head descending down upon the beard of Aaron and upon his robes. And so oil starts at the head and hits the rest of the body. And that's why I've been passionate about dads, number one. Pray for your families. Pray for your, pray for your dad and what you have authority over. Pray for your leaders. If you pray for, your, for God to release his anointing on his leaders, guess where, guess where that anointing is going to flow down to? You. So we pray for our civil leaders. Pray for me. Pray for pastors. I've been praying for pastors more than I ever have. Because oil flows from the head. Pray for the president. Because oil flows from the head. Pray for Congress. Because oil flows from the head. And that's how we can shift and shape history. You know, Derek Prince... He was a, um, a lot of people don't know about him nowadays because 20 years ago, he, or 25 years ago, he passed away and he passed away at the age of 90. So he was really like one or two generations before us. But it was, world, you know, World War, uh, post-World War II, and he had a, was leading a church. He's got this book called Shaping History Through Prayer and Fasting. Great book. I, rec- I recommend it. But they had just a small group, like a, you know, house church kind of size, 11, 12 people. And um, Stalin was murdering people by the thousands, day by day. And they said, Lord, you got to get this guy out of there. Because he's like, this is evil, what he's doing. They said, either save him or get him out of there. And they, they prayed and fasted for two weeks and then... Two weeks after they ended their fast, Stalin had a heart attack and died. And there's this, and so I could give you even more examples of that, but we just don't have time for it. But when we get in there, our prayers are powerful and effective. One of the biggest lies the devil wants you to think is your prayers aren't doing anything. That is a huge lie. He wants you to believe that your prayers don't do anything. The prayer of a, of a righteous man avails much. So unless that anger awakens in us redemptive action, ultimately it degrades into bitterness and unbelief. So if that anger, you just sit in that anger and you actually don't do something redemptive with it, praying and actually, hey, I want to be part of the, the answer, then it turns into bitterness and unbelief. The revival of sunship, chicken or the egg. <laughs> so God is waiting for our spiritual maturity. Our Father desires to bring many sons and daughters to glory, and, and this world, even with all its evil, is the perfect setting for God to accomplish his eternal purpose. To see our nation transformed, we must be transformed. 
So we cannot become those whose hearts are given over to anger. Otherwise, we will risk becoming Christian hypocrites, angry that the world is not Christian, but untroubled that we are not Christ-like. We risk becoming Christian hypocrites, angry that the world is not Christian, but untroubled that we are not Christ-like. So the goal, you, you know what you've been predestined is? You know what your destiny is? Romans 8 says it. You've been predestined to be conformed to his image. That's your destiny. First John 3 says, when you see him, you will become like him. When you see him, you will become like him. So we need to see Jesus. Is the earth longing for revival or for the revealing of the sons of God? Romans 8, for the creation waits with longer, eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to fertility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So revival and sonship, they're not mutually exclusive, but I do think you might have to have an outpouring of the Spirit for people to realize that they're sons and daughters of God, or it, the earth is waiting for sons and daughters to appear and revival will be released. Either way, I think they could want hand in hand. So lies we're believing about politics and elections. I, I, this is from Steve Backlund. I don't try to recreate the wheel whenever I see something good, all right? So, number one lie, it's hopeless because of how bad things are in America. So our hopelessness about a problem is a bigger problem than the problem. A lack of hope means we are believing a lie because it says these three remain, faith, hope, and love, right? Ask God what the lie is and then ask him for the truth so you can be free and bring freedom. Lie number two, the future of America is dependent on one particular person being elected. So yes, we need to stand up for what is right and vote for who we believe is best, but our hope is not dependent upon one person. Our hope's dependent upon Jesus. I need to believe everything the media tells me. Most in the media have their own biases or agendas that they report through. Number four, my descendants and I will not thrive in the future. So one of the greatest declarations we can say is this, I will thrive no matter what happens. Say that, I, can, I will thrive no matter what happens. We can do all things through Christ. We are more than conquerors. If we believe we will thrive, we will. Did Paul thrive under the Roman government? Did Jesus thrive under the Pharisaical and, and the Roman government? Yes. We, we thrive. We have victories from the inside out. All right. I remember what I was going to say. I'm going to say it before I forget again. But, you know, where there's disunity in the body of Christ, I may have said this before, whether it's, um, you know, you've got Christians that are on the left or right politically or wherever they, whatever they're standing, all of that would go away very quickly if we were being persecuted for our faith. You would, it would be like, are you a Christian? Here's some food. Do you understand what I'm saying? 
the, that, the, per, the fire of persecution would boil things down to your base identity, which is your new creation. You're in Christ. doesn't matter what your color you are. doesn't matter what political leaning. leaning. And if, you're, if you are a Christian, the government's persecuting you, then I mean, you're going to be joining together. Number five, every emotion I'm feeling is my own. There are spirits of fear, anger, and hopelessness that want to influence our emotions. So much of what people are feeling are these, some, are these spirits. Sometimes you take too much credit for your emotions and your thoughts. If it's not Jesus, whether it's you or a spirit, get it out of there. So you, it doesn't matter where it's coming from. You don't even have to figure it out. Is this the devil or is this me? Just tell it to leave. Because Jesus said, set your mind on things above, not things that are on below. So whether it's your sin, if it, you can tell, as I listen, you died on the cross of Calvary. That's a demon. You say, I, I rebuke you. Or you just, just tell it to leave in the name of Jesus. Both of them got to leave. All right? So that's the fifth law. Sixth one, my prayers are not working. Philippians 4, 6 gives us the key, and that is this. Believing our past prayers are working. As we include thanksgiving in our prayers, we move from fear and begging mentalities to faith. Number seven, the devil is winning. Jesus said in Matthew 16, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. God is doing much behind the scenes that we don't know, know about. As we believe that, we will see it more and more. Number eight, I must negatively label people I disagree with. First Corinthians 13 says, but the greatest of these is love. When we label people as evil, we lose our ability to influence them. Jesus forgave on the cross and Stephen forgave as he was being martyred, creating an open heaven for the future encounters of those they were forgiving. So Stephen's being stoned. He is dying and it's a painful death. And who is in the crowd when he says, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. Saul, who would later become Paul. So when Stephen released forgiveness and asked for mercy, who came under that umbrella of mercy? It was Saul. So you have no idea what your forgiveness releases. My words are not powerful. So this is a season to speak life, not death. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. Number 10, one person can't make a difference. God's answer is always a person. Just as Gideon rose out of victimhood, fear and self-protection, so will we and others do so when we answer the call of the Lord. You might be the catalyst. God always, he, he uses catalysts. He uses the Pauls. He uses the apostles. He uses people throughout history. The Martin Luther King Juniors, the, the Martin Luthers, you know, people that bring reference in different ways. And so we need to, you start feeling low in hope. You start feeling heavy about what's going on in the country. And these are, it's urgent times. It doesn't mean you don't do anything. It doesn't mean you don't pray. But we want, we know that 
When righteousness rules over a land, it blesses all those in the land. So we're not even necessarily, I pray for righteousness. I say like, God, your throne, is just, it says the foundations of his throne are justice and righteousness. I want God's kingdom in the United States. I want his kingdom. I want justice and righteousness to rule over this land. Because that's when the land will be blessed for everyone. If there's is justice and righteousness for everyone. So y'all stand up with me, please. You got anything, sugar? <laughs> John, if you uh, come on up. I did, I did um, want to say Bill Gaither would have been proud this morning. Y'all sounded amazing. Bill Gaither's... Bill Gaither vocal band for all you youngins.